0: Good morning. Um, where's Reese? Are you in here? Where, where is your, how fast is your husband? He just got up and got him so quick. Woo. Um, well, I want to welcome you guys. If you have not been here to Soundhouse, my name is Ryan Grable. I'm the lead pastor here. I've never worn tennis shoes on stage. Bear with me. I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I'm doing it today. So. Just got to get my feet feeling comfy. and um, But, uh, yeah, if you have any questions about the church whatsoever, just please go ahead and um, find me afterwards or Chad, who's in the back there. And uh, we would love to answer any questions. Uh, we've been having people uh, write in about or, or, or filling out information forms and putting them in the back in the offering box as far as how do I get connected, how do I serve. Um, How can I get great, you know more greatly connected here prayer requests anything like that? We'd love to hear from you Um, And uh, so yeah, let's get started. We are in the middle of Luke uh, our study of the book of Luke Um, We are going to be covering chapter 11. We just finished chapter 10 If you have not been here before you don't have to feel like you've been on this journey the whole time to understand where Luke is going with this to me This chapter is extraordinarily important, and I want us to read, we're going to read a good chunk of this chapter, because you could take chapter 11 and break it up into multiple sermons, but Luke chapter 11 as a whole is speaking something very important, our world, our culture, the world needs to know, and so the way this is laid out I think is brilliant in leading into ultimately what would be the power of salvation and the availability of salvation so let's pray god we love you we thank you for your word god we thank you that it is alive and it's living and and god that um through the work of the spirit it actually becomes a manifestation through the fruit in our life and god i just pray that not one person who hears your word today will walk out unaffected by the eternal truth in your scripture and so God um, we thank you for your word and God we want to live by its guidance and place our faith in the truths and in you God we love you in Jesus name Amen how do you attach value because I think this is what you, Luke chapter 11 is all about what is value and how do you attach value to a thing. Now, I think about our house from a sentimental value point of view. We have a hard drive in our house that has all of our family's history from the beginning of their childhood all the way through and we just keep putting them on the hard drive. And if our house was on fire, I would say that the number one thing we have to get besides my children and my wife, it, we have to get that hard drive because that has massive value to us as a family. It doesn't sit on the shelf, we bring it out often and we go through a journey of our family's history. That is sentimental value. When you place value on things, we know this from a brand. Sometimes I look at a brand and I think, how could that brand be so much? Why? It's this, There's no space materials making this brand. It's not made out of moon rocks. It's the same material that is used in other things, but it's a brand that puts its value on something determined by the demand. Or market trends will determine value. Or social norms will determine value. Or our personal happiness can determine value. But there is, in some ways, a fixed value. If I were to say to you, would you like to trade me your one dollar bill for a hundred? You would recognize quickly that the one dollar bill has less value than the hundred dollar bill. It, there are some things that are just fixed. It just is math. It's general math. There's no um, uh, 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 so, uh, social, um, I, I don't know, collective thinking about that dollar. That, and all of a sudden it, we go, the dollar's worth more than a hundred. It's just the way it is. The value is much greater. And so I think when it comes to this chapter, we have to think in what Jesus is trying to communicate, that it's not a, it's not a perceived value, it's not a, a uh, social norm value, it's not even a personal happiness value, and we rate it, it is a fixed value when we're talking about the kingdom, the gospel, and salvation. It's what I titled this message, greater. And if there's one word that will stand out to you in this chapter is, Jesus uses the term greater when he's referring to himself in the kingdom. It's greater than anything else. It's greater than any other value that we put something on. I would say if you're thinking, if you're looking at, okay, what are we going to really ultimately be having to think about when we read this chapter? It would be this is what Jesus definitely wants us to know when greater arrives how you respond, what you should be aware of when the greater comes in your life and how you know it's greater. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless through me. That's a greater statement. There is nothing, nothing that can bring you to the Father, nothing that brings salvation, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, that's a pretty done deal, meaning that this he is greater than all things that you would think would get you to the Father. It's through Jesus. And so if you open up your Bibles and you're going to look at Luke chapter 11, we're going to start with Luke chapter uh, 11, verse 2. Now, I, I would love for us all as a church to read this very popular piece of scripture, and probably one of the most memorized piece of scripture in the entire Bible, maybe rivaling John 3.16. But this piece of scripture is very valuable because I personally, when I read it, see also very much a confession leaning towards salvation. I see this as Jesus laying the groundwork for what was impossible to be possible. Because it's, this, this section comes out a random out of nowhere if you just read it isolated. But when you read it in the context of Luke chapter 11, you start to see it maybe just a little differently, especially where it goes from there. That Jesus is teaching people about the Father in this prayer. And he's teaching people the way of salvation. And it's in Luke chapter uh, 11 verse 2. I think he's beginning to tell us who God is and what we should ask for. I don't think this is a prayer that is just a, hey, here's how you pray structure. This is a, this is what to pray and look for and trust in, in salvation. Because then we're going to talk a lot about salvation in the rest of the chapter. Luke chapter 11 verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And why I see this verse as a, 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 Call for salvation when prayed for salvation is because of that term right there We were talking last week about the kingdom is near And now we have a prayer that says your kingdom come Right and it says give us each day our daily bread and Forgive our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and Lead us not into temptation. There are six things That you can see very clearly here. If you do not know how to lead someone in a confessional prayer and salvation, you know this passage. It has all the theological relevance that's communicating who God is, why he's come, and what we can call upon him for is in this passage. The first one is this, is that when we say, hallowed, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is this. A sense of holiness. God, you're holy. You're set apart. You're different than us. And I love this because even when you say recognize God as holy or even recognize yourself in the midst of holiness and that you want to set yourself apart from all things to be, try to be holy for the Lord. This is a beautiful part of the prayer and a recognition of who God is. The second part of the prayer is your kingdom come. Last week it was near, now it's here. God, come into my life. The kingdom is near, and I embrace the kingdom. The third one is the daily divine nourishment, is that I no longer am going to be dependent on the things that I wanted to make me happy in life, dependent on the things that I was hoping would bring salvation, no longer dependent on the day-to-day of just getting through things. There's a divine nourishment now that I rely on that Jesus also stated to the devil in the desert, which is I don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. I now live on divine nourishment for my divine uh, uh, or supernatural and spiritual life. The The fourth part is the forgiveness of sins. The fact that we can—it's possible to pray for forgiveness of sins. Not a sacrifice. No, no ritual. This is when you pray. Pray for forgiveness of sins. So, out of your mouth in confession, God hears the heart and forgives your sins. And then the fifth part is people of grace, when He says that we ourselves were forgiven, and let's forgive those who are in debt to us, meaning that we don't just receive, but we give. It's The gospel is a river that flows through us to the next person, right? And so we have to let it flow. I don't know if you've ever held hands and then put a fork into the electrical outlet, I don't recommend it, or grabbed an electrical thing and, it, and the current passes through you, but it's the person on the end that really suffers the result, right? But you are being passed through with the gospel. It must flow. It should never stop with you. And then the last one is, is sometimes not seen this way, but I see it this way, which is lead us, God, not into temptation, right? And then added other delivers from evil. But lead us, so when you look at that prayer, this is essentially the, the, the hope for every Christian is one, they recognize that God is holy. And just to, that's in a way of, you'll bend the knee of the heart of God is holy. And then you go down and you go, that the kingdom is here and I want the kingdom. And then you'll go, oh, I want to live by you, God, only, and I know now my life must be only living by you and then God forgive my sins and he will forgive them and help me be a person who is forgiving who is a part of this kingdom and bringing grace and then ultimately God guide my life I think that's a great prayer if you were raised Catholic you know this prayer am I right all the Catholics said amen right we know this prayer This is the prayer of salvation. So when you lead someone into their salvation or when God has ordained a moment for you and that person, you know the sinner's prayer. I would say this is the Lord's prayer, they say, but this is a prayer of teaching someone about who God is and this is what Jesus is doing because of what happens later on in the chapter. So the first part is reach to God. It's the very first thing Jesus wants you to know is reach to God and reach to him in prayer. The second part is blessed are those who are the hearers. The kingdom message, and you've shared the gospel with many, many people, and some people are hearers and some people are not. It doesn't mean that they're broken as hearers. It means that their ear is not ready to hear or tuned in to hear. The timing is not right. Or they have not they have not accepted what God has been doing the whole time yet in their life. I don't know. But the hearer Jesus says, blessed are those who hear. Now, <clears throat> when you're raising kids, I think we know when our kids are hearing the message we're giving them because of what they do with the message that you gave them, right? I have a child who is brilliant at this, nodding, agreeing, even giving me feedback. So you're saying this, right? But not doing any of what... They're, they're great. They're amazing. Sometimes they fool me. But the fact is, is that hearing is one thing, and there are lots of people who hear, but blessed are those who hear, and then ultimately Jesus will say, and do it. So there's this really interesting part that comes up, and what you're going to see happening here is that when an ears hear the word, it's the greatest gift that a human being can ever receive when they hear the word, and they become a doer of the word. America is very inundated by the gospel. I I, I can say Jesus, and almost every American can say, oh, yeah, 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 I know a a variation of that Jesus. And so, but there are people who have never heard the word. And when they hear the word for the first time, some will be open to hear and receive, and some will be just people who, they heard it, but they did not receive it. And so, Luke 11, verse 27, leading in, we're, we're talking about salvation. He says, and he said these things, and a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast in which nursed you. Now, I've never had anyone say that to me. It's a very strange statement, right? Not to their culture necessarily, but we wouldn't go about and say that. I wouldn't tell my boss who I thought was great, like, blessed is you and the woman who nursed you. That's a strange statement way of saying something, but the focus is, is important because Jesus hears something that would divert people, in a way, away from what he's trying to communicate, and so he takes the statement, and everyone's like, yeah, blessed is, is Mary, and he's saying, no, 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 wait, 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 you're missing the point, and then he goes on to verse uh, 28, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, and they keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and receive it. That's the greatest gift that you could ever give, is that when you hear the word, the gospel being presented in some way, form, displayed through somebody, or in a sense, spoken to you, and receive it and keep it, blessed are you, greater than anything else. Hearing and receiving and not rejecting it. And this comes into this next part that Jesus talks about in Luke where he's now going to kind of give one of these rubber meets the road. You hear but do you receive? And I think a lot of times when we talk about sharing the gospel we will take a lot of it into our own hands. Like how can I convince this person to follow Jesus? And I don't necessarily think that that is a good way of going about it. Because We just need to be available to share the gospel, to display the gospel as long as we need to, right? And God is doing the work. You're a Christian because God found you first and led you to the gospel. This is just what's happening. God wills that not one person perish. God wants that all hear the gospel and are saved. And the Spirit is at work throughout the world to draw all men to Christ. And so the Spirit's been working no matter how good you are at an oral presentation to somebody or how many facts you can spit out. He's at work. He's doing his work. God is calling all people. But he's calling people to what? The, the gospel, the kingdom is now arrived. The greater is here. And so the third part that Jesus begins to talk about in Luke 11 is the great decision. So the only way I could think about this is that great decision. I'll never forget the moment when I made the great decision for my life. I had heard the gospel almost my entire life and, and, and for a portion of it resisting the gospel and rejecting the gospel and then fighting against the gospel. But I'll never forget when the moment happened where the work is being done in my life and the God is resilient to the end on me that the moment that it was <laughs> somehow, I don't know how he does it, but I was at a place, the right time, the right moment, I hear the gospel, and then blessed was me in that moment because I received it. But he says that there's a great decision. and the rejection of the gospel, we have to remember this is the rejection of God's salvation plan. it's a harsh truth but God has presented a way out a salvation plan and Jesus is going to state here very clearly that rejection of the gospel is the rejection of God's salvation plan through Christ Luke eleven twenty nine. it says when the crowds were increasing he began to say this generation is an evil generation meaning this and now now you have to, when you read this, understand what he means by this. Is He's not just speaking to those people in this time. He's speaking in a way that these are people who have heard the truth. And they don't believe the truth. And they're wanting more to prove that the truth has arrived. And so he gets ready to deliver a message here that, that there's no more proof that I can give you to bring about your faith. It's a moment of a decision you're going to have to make in faith. This is not a very good how to win, win, win friends and influence people speech. I would never feel great about coming up here and going, you know, all of you are an evil generation. This is an evil church. It's not a good look. But he's doing something very important here. He's letting them know that the time has come, and it can no longer continue, where we 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 hear the truth and are not accountable to the truth. And so it goes on to say, "It's, it's this generation seeks signs, a sign. And then he says, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Now this can be a little bit confusing, but there's a lot of depth in what he's saying here. There no sign can be given except the sign of Jonah. Remember Jonah and the whale Jonah. It says, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, if you don't know your Jonah history, Jonah's journey was extraordinarily insightful to this passage. You know, Jonah was a prophet from Gethapher, and he was under the reign of Jeroboam II. It was around in the 700s of BC. At that time, there was a giant power in the Assyrian Empire, and, and the Assyrian Empire was nothing little. Jonah had had many encounters with this empire for they were conquering everyone. But when the Assyrians conquered, they were brutal. You know, we watch some of the modern warfare now happening and some of the people, what they do, and, and a video is released online and people are in shock and awe. It's, that's nothing compared to what these people did when they captured People who resisted them. They prided themselves on torture. They humiliated people groups. This was a brutal empire. And their, I I, I would say, maybe capital at the time, if you will, was Nineveh. So God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh and share this message that if they do not repent and change... There will be destruction upon this city. Nineveh at that time is probably one of the largest cities in the entire world developed and uh, a great stronghold. I think sometimes in the United States we can somewhat relate to Nineveh a great superpower. That it's like if anybody comes up against our gates, are you kidding me. We're the United States of America. I hear it all the time. We're a great superpower. We have the greatest war capabilities in the entire world's history ever. This is probably how Nineveh felt. So for Jonah to come and say, if you do not repent, there will be destruction upon you. And so this is interesting that Jesus is referring to uh, uh, Jonah. I was reading a little bit about this because I thought Jonah's hearing the word, and why in the world would he run? Prophets typically don't want to do that. Only one other time you see where they run the opposite direction. And Jonah hears the message, and he gets on a boat, and he sails the opposite direction of Nineveh, and then he's thrown over the boat, and he's swallowed up by a whale, and he's delivered up into the further end of the coast, and then he has to make his journey over into basically modern-day Mosul in Iraq. I was fascinated with this whale thing, so I started reading about it a little bit. Did you know there are two recorded instances of someone being swallowed by a whale? Did you know this? One was just on Jimmy Kimmel. And he was swallowed by a whale while he was uh, 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 diving for, I don't know what he's, lobster diving. Um, All you lobster divers out there, be careful. And he was taken up by a humpback whale. He was in the mouth for one minute. And all the people with him saw the whale come up, shake its head, and then he spit him out. So it was only in the mouth of it. The other one was back in the in the late 1800s. There was a guy. His name is James uh, uh, Berkeley or Bur- uh, Bertland, Bertley, and he was uh, harpooning whales. His boat went down, and he disappeared until another whaling ship harpooned the whale. It was a sperm whale. Brought the whale up on board, cut him open, and James was in the whale for 36 hours. Do you know how the Bible says that the, the Jonah needed shade over top of him, right, to cover his head, and that uh, pr- pr- potentially bald, right, hairless. Well, this guy comes out of the whale, and he's lost all of his hair because of the acid in the stomach of the whale for that long. His clothes are tattered, and his skin is very, very weak. He became known as the modern-day Jonah. He sat in a museum for a, literally almost three years so people could come and meet him as the modern-day Jonah. Very strange story. How did it happen? I have no idea. But Jonah finds himself in a situation, the story goes, and he is now spit up on the shore to go to a nation that is hostile. So to say, your nation is gonna be destroyed if you don't change, I can imagine what they would do to him in the streets. But he goes. And he presents to the nation, and they repent. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 31, And the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Now the queen of the south is the queen of Sheba. She goes to Solomon, presents all these great gifts because she had heard about Solomon's greatness. Now most people believe that the queen of Sheba, she came from, um, uh, what was the region? I want to say it was either Ethiopia or just the bridge across Yemen in Saudi Arabia. She hears of the greatness of Solomon, and she mounts a caravan that is ready to go 1,800 miles to go see Solomon, to see if it's true what people hear. It, I, I did a little walking calculating with the uh, change in topography, and it would have taken her 35 days, her and that troop, to get on foot to go see Solomon. Now, I say all this for a reason because this is what Jesus says, that she'll be there with these people to condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, meaning this is that she was willing to at least go see and saw and believed the greatness and the wisdom through God that happened through Solomon. And Jonah delivered it to the most destructive at that time, vicious uh, empire, and they all changed. And so Jesus says, if they heard the worst of the worst and changed, and she was willing to go as far as she could possibly go to see the wisdom and the prosperity of Solomon through God, then what's our excuse when the truth actually shows up? And here's what he says, and behold, Something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So he uses these, very two, these two very strong examples that this culture would have known very well. And he says, they got it more than this generation but something greater has come and there will be an accountability because something greater is here. Three things we can learn from this little part right here, this section is true, eternal salvation is here and now for all, Jesus is saying. It's here and it's now for all. And then greater than Jonah, Solomon, God is revealing his awe and salvation through Jesus Christ, greater than those stories, greater than Solomon and greater than Jonah. God has arrived, and it's the greatest. And the third thing out of this section of Jonah and Solomon here is the choice to hear and to keep it is ours. We can choose to hear, or we can choose to receive it or reject it. And Jesus is drawing a very strong line in the ground now. And he's saying, the truth is here, and it's your choice. I I always pray for our church and pray for, I think, the world that we are like the Ninevites. I can't believe I'm saying that. Or like the Queen of Sheba who's willing to to, to go to see something incredible at great distances and believe. I pray that we're not like this wicked generation Jesus is talking about that says, "Uh, I need more signs, I need more, I don't know, I don't know, and won't act on faith. The, the, the last part, I think, is so important that we get into is, one is, we talked about how to reach out to God, we talked about blessed are those hearers, we talked about the great decision when it comes, and we're all accountable to it, and the last part is this, is to always leave the lights on. Leave the light on. And I say this part because of how Jesus begins to introduce it right after this, is that we can go... And maybe think that it's a Jonah type of journey. Where we go, we deliver the message and we say, hey, good luck on you. If you don't choose, I'm gone. But always leaving the light on. And I think this is why Christ brings this. Because there's going to be a point when you will share the gospel. Or you're witnessing somebody or even praying for somebody. And you go, you know what, they rejected the gospel. They said, what I believe is dumb. And they're, okay, fine, cool. But being a lie and leaving the light on. Is being available because the time may not be then. I'm so grateful my sweet mother did not stop praying for me and my salvation when she just watched how I so clearly rejected it and mocked her for it. And said, Oh, well, I guess you're I guess I guess you're gonna burn in hell, Ryan. Now I'm her son, and that's not what she would want, but. Do we do that to other people and go, hey, well, that's your choice, not mine. Well, what if God is continually holding you in a place to keep the light on? Because the time might not be right yet. God's still at work in this person. When you're done sharing the gospel, God doesn't go, well, I guess we're done here, Ryan. I guess they don't get it. That's not what the Spirit does. He is constantly at work and at work doing his work. So to leave the light on, we never stop showing, we never stop shining, and we never stop sharing the gospel of Christ. We never do. We can never give up on someone because they're too far gone. We can never give up on somebody because they just, they're they're down a path. We have to maintain, to want to be like the father who was waiting at the end of the driveway when that son returned. Waiting, watching, looking, ready to embrace. I was reading about lighthouses a while back, and, and they're very interesting because I was reading a lot about the lighthouse at Alexandria, and it was this amazing structure, and so I was like, where did lighthouses come from? Where'd that concept come from? And it goes all the way back to this, is they used to have these ports, and whenever a ship would come up to a port in an area in a village, they would light the hills on fire so they knew to guide them in where they need to go, away from rocks here and away from rocks there. And I when I think about a lighthouse, It's to guide ships home. We do not put the light out and go, well, there's rocks over there, but they didn't watch the lights last time, and so I guess they're going to shipwreck again. We're called to do that. When there's storms and when there's darkness and when there's warnings of danger, we're always having the light on to guide somebody to be available to be a light in these dark places, we can never turn our back on them. One day, they may say, thy kingdom come, right? God, forgive my sins. You are holy, lead me. That day may come. Luke 11, last verse. Luke 11:33. no one after lighting a lamp puts it on in a cellar or under a basket there's a theme happening here. Who would light a lamp? Who would have a light and go, you know what, guys? Let's just cover the light up. What he's saying is, what a waste if we're covering the light up. What a waste if we just put it under a basket. It doesn't serve its purpose. It which is just to illuminate and to guide people through darkness. He says, but instead they put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, the whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Your eye is the full, is ultimately, if it's full of light, it's your wholeness is full how you see, what you see. But if it's dark, all you see is darkness. Therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright. And as when a lamp with its rays, they give you light. This is a strong encouragement. I think here is that light is for seeing and ultimately light is for others to see not just you light is for others to see not just us and I think if someone chooses not to see or hear we remain being light until the day they do we remain in prayer we remain being the very best example we can possibly be. I can't tell you how many people have talked to me about faith. If I ever mention my profession, we're going to have a, some either a grievance session about religion or we're going to have a guilt session where they're feeling they need to confess that they haven't been around church in a while and, and, and have kind of lost their way. Or we're just going to have a conversation about God. But the sad part, I think, is the, gr- is the grievance session because I think that in a way it's sad because th- they have decided not to be a part of faith, hate religion, and they want to have a conversation about it. And, and I love being in those moments because I'm always going, I don't think you know the God that I know. So let's talk about the God that I know, and I want to hear about the God that you knew. We, we never know when it's going to happen in whatever place someone is in, but always being the light, always being willing is so important, and you do not have to be a theologian. You do not have to be perfect. You don't even have to be like, well, I can't really share about the gospel because that person saw me cuss the other day. It don't <laughs> you want to work on those things, yes, yes. But you do not have to be perfect. And I think we think we have to be perfect so we can perfectly represent Jesus. But guess what? You can never be Jesus. And if you think that you need to be, then you're an absolute heresy. Because that's what grace is, and that's what Christ is, our perfect example. He did what you couldn't do. So as flawed as you are, we share the gospel. Many times you see the flaws of Paul in the gospel. Luke, when we get into Acts, he doesn't hold back some of the flaws of Paul. He's got them. He's a human. we see the flaws of Peter, he's got them. He's human. Luke doesn't present these people as perfect people who he does present as perfect is Christ. So share the gospel. Be the light. We can't back away from the gospel and just go I'm done I'm good we know the prayer we know how to lead someone theologically in salvation through that prayer we know that how blessed it is when someone hears and receives it or keeps it because we know that for ourselves so work off of that memory and then we know that there is a line in the sand and there are those who reject the God wills that not one does and hopes that they do but the gospel is the gospel and it draws the line of truth because the truth has arrived greater than anything else and you know that truth. And the last part is continually being in that light when somebody does reject it. You don't know the work of the spirit. God does some really crazy things. You can't tell me a story. I know all of you know a story if someone says, I didn't want anything to do with God and through these certain circumstances, there must be a God. God is at work. Just make sure your light's on when they come to that place. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be witnesses, to be ambassadors, God, to the world. God, I thank you for these great examples that Luke lays out through the words of Christ. Is that we know who you are. We know what we can pray, God. We know your saving grace, God. Help us be a light into the world, God. Help us not shy back of the urgency that that the greater has come and the greater brings accountability and brings responsibility on our end. To go and be light and to bring the good news everywhere we go. God, we may not be the most talented person. We may not be the most uh, articulate with our words, God, but God, you have placed light inside and all we need to do is take the basket off, bring it up from the cellar, and put it in so those who see the light can come in. And however that manifests in our life, God, give us creativity, give us uh, patience. God, give us vision, give us grace and a remembrance that we once were in darkness and we saw the light. And blessed are we that we accepted it. But God, we want others to be blessed in the same way. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you guys stand with me this last?